After what feels like the longest two years of our lives, thanks to the pandemic, we are slowly but surely going back to normalcy. Definitely not the normal we used to know, pre-pandemic, but you know what I mean. Every aspect of our lives has changed during this time, from travel to work and even money. To some, it may be how much income they make, and to others, it is how they deal with their income in general. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Learn More. I am Hadir Al-Zijadi, and with us today to share his experiences, Joshua Nash, a financial coach and a wealth manager. It's my pleasure having you here today, Joshua. Pleasure to be on, Hadir. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. So in our initial conversation, we discussed life going back to normal. And as we know, during these times, a lot of people's habits has changed radically. Of course, today we will be discussing this in terms of how people spend, save and invest their money. So let me start by asking you this. Through your financial coaching career, what changes have you seen take place the most when it comes to people's perspective of money in general? Um, so yeah, good question. And it, it kind of brings me back to something my mum always used to say. So I grew up in the UK, uh, normal sort of working class background. Both my parents would have worked um, and sort of living month to month. But my mum my always used to say, uh, money buys you freedom, which buys you choice. And through my career in banking and finance, you'd find generally um, people accumulate wealth or they have money as they get older and they get to 60, 70, they have a lot of money, but for lots of reasons, not able to do things they wanted to anymore, or they feel like they've missed out on, their health maybe isn't so good. I think the biggest change I've seen is that instead of waiting to age 60 or 70 to kind of realise that, that's kind of been across the board that everyone has realised that, that people during COVID either did have money or were still being paid, but the restrictions on their freedom to be able to do what they wanted with that money, whether it be travel, see family, or even just be outside and live a normal life. That's that biggest shift because it was like, it's not about the money itself. It's what the money allows you then to do and have the freedom. Yeah. And over the last you know, nearly two years, we've seen a big impact on people's sort of liberty and freedom and independence, um, which is anchored financially because generally speaking, the more money you have, the more freedom and independence you're going to, to have to make those choices. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the biggest perspective that people have been like, what I actually want is freedom. I don't want the, the money. The money is a tool to get to the freedom. Um, exactly what I say. Yeah. So yeah, in a weird way, I don't want to say it's a positive because we've been through uh, a really hard time. Yeah. But have that bit of knowledge at an earlier, the earliest age you can. Um, that's been a nice sort of thing that's, that's come out of this that, you know, I deal with a lot of people in my work that are over the age of 50 um, and they're doing very well for themselves now, but they had to give up a lot to achieve that. They've missed out on, um, you know, their children's birthday parties, school plays, teachers' evenings, all this. Yeah. And if you ask them, you know, would you, you're a millionaire now, would you pay $10,000 to go back and see your daughter ride her bike, learn to swim? They all would. So yeah. I think that's, that's flipped in, a, in a, um, people's perspective. That's probably the biggest thing that I've seen. So you, so what you're saying is people value being with their loved ones more than money, given the, the things that we've been through the past couple yeah, of years. People like, allow people to take a step back and look at perspective-wise. Um, mm. And some people probably have to live with mother-in-laws and, and whatever else and probably didn't quite enjoy that um, but it's because <laughs> they didn't have, they didn't have their freedom. There. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's the main thing, the main takeaway is that the money is buying you the freedom. What you actually want is the freedom. 
Um, and sometimes you get caught up in work or caught up in, especially in, in Dubai. Brunches, nice place to go, shopping, malls, yeah. nice cars. But actually, it's when that freedom is taken away from you, you start to appreciate that a lot more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, yeah, the family-wise as well, especially in an expat community like we live in, in Dubai, yeah. most people's family are in different countries. Um, I didn't see my family for 18 months, and I'm sure it was the same for lots of other people. I mean, I, I live, my family are just across the border from the UAE and I didn't get to see them for that long. So I definitely understand it, it was difficult. It was difficult. Yeah. Definitely. And you would have got to a stage where even if a plane ticket was available and it was like $10,000, lots of people would have just paid it because it, it wasn't about the money anymore. Like having those connections, having that family time was more important. But don't you think that's like contradicts the fact that people like, I feel like some sort of contradiction because you're saying people would pay a lot of money, but uh, you mentioned earlier that people became financially literate. Isn't there a sort of a clash? Yeah, I, it's not financial literacy for me is not. Um, it's more about justifying your purchase and being accountable with your purchase and knowing what it's for. Mm. You know, I've had lots of clients spend a lot more money on things that I would. But their rationale and accountability to why they did it and the happiness or freedom it, it kind of gave them, in their head, it was fine. I think the, the difference with so, the conflict is um, when people say they want one thing but actually want another. So I've had a lot of friends say, oh, I wish I could, uh, I wish I could buy a house or whatever it is or, or go on holiday to these nice places. But then they're out every week shopping, going to brunches. That's the true contradiction of, of that. Sure. So financial literacy is more justifying and being accountable because your awareness is is higher. Mm -hmm. So we're saying here that these times have confirmed that money is really a tool. Correct. Just to buy your freedom. Just to buy um, your freedom or happiness <laughs> or time with your family or whatever you love, yeah. to, truly exactly. love doing. Exactly. But it's your freedom individually to, to choose. And, you know, having that money uh, is going to allow you more freedom or more choices, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, so actually, you've answered my next question. Uh, if, people, <laughs> if people have uh, become more financially literate. So I'm just going to gonna move on to the next one. Um, okay. If you tell someone to budget, and I'm one of these someones uh, a few years ago, um, if not less, <laughs> um, it would be like, so you want me to limit myself? You don't want me to go shopping? You don't want me to travel? You want me to budget? How does that even make sense? But I make money now. So yeah. are we seeing a shift there in how people feel towards the word budgeting, would you say? Um, yeah, I think it's the framing of the conversation that's probably the important thing. And it's a lot I work with with the financial coaching is that, like what you said, a lot of people think budgeting is about making sacrifices or restricting you. Mm -hmm. um, I view it more of a list of priorities. So most people's budget, you might have like housing might be your first sort of uh, bill that comes out because you need to refurb your head and food and car and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of, again, like I'm, I'm pretty kind of open with people, but if you can justify and you can say, well, this means more to me than X and I want to spend my money here or shopping gives me so much more value or joy than being able to own my own home, I'm actually okay with that as a financial coach. I'm like, you're being accountable and you're being intentional with your money. It's not yeah. about kind of saying, well, everybody needs to own their own home or everybody needs to invest in yeah. X, Y, Z. We all have it's, different goals. 
yeah, as long as you're being, yeah, as long as you're being honest with yourself, right? That no, this is what I want, and this gets me more enjoyment than something else that society may deem important. Um, yeah, I'm quite a big fan of that because you're sort of well, it's your money, you're living your own life, but just don't don't contradict yourself. You have to be honest with yourself as to as to why. It goes back to my earlier point that if you keep saying maybe your friends are going on nice holidays, whether it be nice cars or they're traveling or they're retiring early, and you're sat there wishing, oh, I wish I could do that. And you're earning the same money, but you're spending it week to week, lunches, brunches and shopping, then you're not being honest with yourself. So yeah, the budgeting for me is more, I would call it like a priority list because there is some things that uh, we have to pay for, you can't get away yeah. from. And and I understand what you're saying, yeah, but um, it is difficult for people to sort of, obviously consciousness is and awareness is a very important um, characteristic or state of mind people have to reach to, right? Yeah. And um, until you get there and until you understand your habits, generally speaking, even not when it comes to money, just generally speaking, mm-hmm you won't be able to sort of have the priority list because you're just not conscious enough or not aware enough. Or a lot of people would tell you, well, I don't even know where my money's going. Yeah, I think that's a, it comes with a maturity and age thing. They're not always linked, but generally speaking, they, they would be. Um, yeah, so do you think, so, so in your opinion, do you think with everything that has happened, everything we've just spoken about, do you think that going through the past two years will people understand their money habits more yeah i think um in possibly a negative way that if you you look back and the amount of people that lost their jobs um that would have kind of forced them to maybe do the first time they sat down with their bank statement looked at all their ingoings outgoings everything and to really be like right i can't get away with sort of living month to month anymore the the we're up against the wall here um so i sort of forced them into it but again, I think it comes back to the earlier point that um, you have to know what you want before you're willing, before you know what you're willing to give up to, to get it. And that's why, um, you know, at a younger age, I'm sort of like, I was quite reckless with my money when I was 19, 20. But in a weird way, I was happy I went through that because it made me more appreciative when I was 25, 26. Yeah, well, you have to go through certain things in life to understand other things you know yeah um yeah so you learn from your own experience yeah and as um I'm a father now and I see my sort of role as a parent to kind of to be a safety net for your children so that you're you want them to have those experiences and you want them to to learn for themselves and and feel some amount of pain so they can grow and get better but you you can't do it for them right you're just there to sort of catch them so my general advice for people in the 1920s like you'll have to go out and do these things you can try and minimize risk where you should but you shouldn't it shouldn't stop you going to do them because the lesson in doing them is yeah it's minimal and you know if you're 21 22 years old you spend you know maybe too much money on a credit card on a holiday um you come back and then think oh that was a lot of money i regret it in the scheme of things what's two three thousand dollars in the career life that you've got in the next 40 50 years it's like it's worth it just to have that lesson as long as it's going to come at some point. That's a difficult thing because you, you never know. Yeah, no, it is difficult, but also you said something very interesting. So like, as you know, as you may know by now, so what, what we try to do at Moon is give 
people that clarity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to allow them to understand their, their habits. Um, and the thing is, even if you're not 19 or 20, even if you're in your mid 20s and you go back, if you wake up one morning feeling like, OK, I'm going to make a change today, this is going to be it. And I'm going to make that change today. And you go back to your bank statements and you look at them and it's just confusing. Yeah. Right. It's about what's the next step from there. So, yeah. Um, and it's about commitment, committing to your goals, like you said earlier, or being true to yourself and being conscious about what you what you want basically yeah i think that's the probably most difficult thing about um being a financial coach or doing what you're doing at loom is mm. that moment when that person decides to wake up and make a change we have nearly no influence over that whatsoever we have mm. like there's nothing we can do to make that happen any faster the, the customer or the person has to make want to make that change themselves now once they've woke up and done it we can kind of remove as many obstacles as possible try and make it as easy accessible non-judgmental as possible yeah but it's like that first initial spark or that decision when they wake up and say i want to make a change it's like i've kind of accepted i can't control when that happens but when it does i want to be there as quick as possible and be on hand be a good support network do you think that this happens when like something as huge as a pandemic happens or do you think that something that's more personal happens like when do yeah. when do people become more conscious about budgeting and savings yeah um i don't personally think it's a good way to measure but i'm just going to tell you what i've seen be the biggest from your reason. experience obviously it, it's different yeah. for each person yeah so my probably uh the biggest reason people probably have that bit of a wake-up call Mm -hmm. obviously there's, there's variables it might be a family death or loss of a job but the main one is probably when they see their peer group or um people they went to school or friends probably doing a little bit better than them um and kind of overtake them over a period and get promotions and they're still sort of um maybe in the same place and then it's like you know that accountability and that inward looking uh perspective so pressure. yeah but in like i say i wish it wasn't this way but it's sometimes not direct peer pressure it's just you know whether it be social media or other things just looking around and thinking uh well everyone's doing quite well for themselves and they've got these nice things why yeah. can't i have those nice things and social media is a very good uh, good uh, channel for why does everybody have these nice things even if you yeah. don't want these things yeah a lot of it is a, is a smoke screen um but a lot of it i remember having having that conversation with myself when i was about 22 23 mm -hmm. um and i seen people um that I didn't think maybe was smarter than me or worked harder and had all these nice things um but it was just because their, their habits were better or they had more defined goals and objectives or they're being more accountable we went yeah. to the same school had a similar upbringing same intelligence we worked just as hard and then you're sort of it got to the point where you remove all those variables and have to think well I'm the problem once you've removed all those other variables that it can be or maybe they just got lucky it's within yeah yeah because maybe one of your friends gets lucky but when it's 10 of your friends and you're the only one maybe feel like you're lagging behind yeah. the logical conclusion as well i have to look back at myself um so that's probably the biggest one i've seen and it's a conflict for me because you know i don't think people maybe should compare against other people in their peer group as long as they're happy so um i want to ask you about um investment since that's your field do you think that people are more 
inclined to invest at this point more than before? Yeah, in- investing so um, turned, I think the pandemic turned a lot of people's mind to investing for different reasons. One being that maybe they didn't feel so secure in just relying on their job for an income. They wanted to secure a different um whether a different income stream straight away or whether it be like a longer term investment. Um, but people maybe didn't want to be so sort of just reliant on the on the job just as income. So and yeah. that, that's what that's what you hear a lot always investing multiple streams of income, multiple streams of income. Um, obviously it's easier said than done. Um, and then the, the second side of it is the term investing. I've seen really good things. A lot of people invest in themselves, whether it be start a new business, something on on the side and watch it grow. Um, or yeah. whether it be a training course um, or something like that, self-development. Uh, even myself in January, I started taking Arabic lessons. The other side of it is, yeah, when people have got invested, what I did see sort of professionally was um, that a lot of a younger generation than it was before wanting to, to start something or starting to reach out and get in touch and want that information. Um, but mm. unfortunately, what I'd seen is people, I think this is, the, the downside of the, the younger generation do tend to be a bit more proactive. Um, like we said before, that information is out there, but there's lots of traps you can fall into. There's lots of advice you'd you'd want to sort of get before you start these things. So in the in the last six months, I've had a couple of people who tried something online, trading stocks or trading foreign exchange, didn't go well, and then sort of come back to me and say, well, I want someone to do it, um, quote unquote, like properly or more sort of, um in in the formal way or in the traditional way so i mean i feel like that's a whole other world investment i mean i i like that you said invest in yourself i mean this is the whole i feel like it's become a trend Mm -hmm. like your your health your well-being your mindset all of these have become more of a trend than anything else right uh on social media and uh with just socially with people you know mm-hmm. um it could have been from the pandemic mainly but uh, we do see that it's out there and i've heard a lot of stories as you said people at a very young age start investing which is not a bad thing i would go to what you said earlier about experiencing as much as you can mm-hmm. at a young age so i feel like these aren't bad mistakes correct there there are things they're good they're good experiences to go through so you can build on that experience and understand where you went wrong and then consciously move forward yeah and just by the demographics it's quite not lucky as well but if someone says 50 55 years old they're investing for the first time but they don't know what they're doing they make a mistake and it could be their whole life savings their whole pension and they don't have the time to recover from that mistake but when yeah. you're 20, 25, you still will sort of kind of get a bit of a free pass with that sort of stuff because a thousand dollars might be a lot. You don't have responsibilities. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you have time to make that recovery back. You have that time to learn and grow. So that the risk is actually probably a little bit less for younger generation, I would say, to, to not have to get it perfect or get it right the first time. So one of the, the terms we use in, um, in my line of work is capacity for loss. So the, the, mm. the investment risk could be the same, but the capacity for loss, i.e. what would a loss harm that person? How much would it harm that person? Um, like we said, at 55 or 60, if it's your whole livelihood and your it's pension, higher. it's yeah, it's mm. much higher. 
Um, so they tend to be a bit more risk adverse or they, they tend not to be able to, to look at as many opportunities as someone who was, who was younger um, yeah. can do. But like you said, the main thing is going through that experience and process. It's, sometimes it's worth paying the money to, to kind of be wrong. And that's OK. That's totally OK. Technically, we're spending money on all our mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. technically yeah so and whether it uh, was shopping or traveling or there's money in every aspect of our lives so yeah that's a really good point um right but yeah which is why we have to be conscious about it yeah i think that's the main the main sort of takeaway from these sort of things and what i coach a lot of clients to be is you don't have to get things perfect or right you just have to be accountable and be honest with yourself yeah going back to investments though yes <laughs> Do you believe that there is a right time to start and is there a right or wrong way to invest? So we've spoken about age and about responsibilities and about people doing it without being diligent, let's say. Yeah. But what's your your take on this? Like, is there a correct time to start like at a certain age? Is there the right approach? I'm a big fan. And like I said before, this is sort of eight or nine out of 10 solution for most people is a total um, stock market approach using index funds. So you have a fund mm -hmm. that covers as much as the stock market as, as possible. Um, and you'll automatically be invested in Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, Netflix, Google, or Alphabet. And they will rebalance that for you every three months. So let's say the Apple price changes, goes up or goes down. Mm -hmm. They will rebalance it for you. So it's always representative of what the market is doing. So all you're trying to do is say, look, I agree that the market always goes up over time as a general concept, but I don't know which stocks and which areas will at any given time. So the only way to know, or the only way to guarantee that you're going to get the good times when it's good is be invested always in everything. So you're taking a total stock market approach. The sort of investing that I would advocate and most um, kind of top level financial professionals um, should at a core sort of basis is something that's, slow and steady longer term you're not gonna you're not gonna double your money like overnight or even in a year generally speaking it's never happened with this type of investing but it's the lowest risk um way to sort of to be invested with with instant access um and that's generally trying to capture the market returns in the most efficient way possible you're not mm -hmm. trying to beat the market or outguess or have any special sort of ingredient or knowledge um and that's probably right for 80 to 90% of, of people. Going back to sort of an age thing, I don't think it's an age thing of people always say with investing, um, you know, the sooner you start. I would rather have someone start a bit later who was more clear in their goals um, and objectives and what they wanted out of it. They're more likely to succeed than someone who maybe is starting five years earlier, but they don't know what they want. They're just being told to do it because they think it's the right thing. They're not mentally invested, right, or committed okay. to, to do it. And then maybe they start to withdraw their money or they don't contribute every month and they lose sort of interest. They're going to stall even though they started earlier. Yeah. So you're like, again, going back to what we said, it has to come from within. It has to be a decision that you make for yourself rather than a parent or, or anyone telling you this is what you need to do right yeah. dictating yeah. your next move sort of speak yeah and then once that happens we want to be in a, in a good place like people like ourselves want to be in a place where we can support and facilitate that growth and that information gathering um that's sort of our our role in it make it easy as easy as as possible 
um, within my portfolio, it's like a, a range of clients, but it's more so like have to have the mental sort of commitment to, to do it. Um, I've had people that are sort of on the fence with it. And I've just sort of said, like, I'd rather you not start if it's going to cause you worry, anxiety and stress, because that's probably an indication you just don't probably know enough yet to be comfortable in doing something. Yeah. There's always a natural level. There's always going to be some. Um, but you don't, in my job, I don't want to cause more stress. Um, the idea is to I cause mean, less. people are stressed about the, about money regardless. Like a lot of people are in debt. Yeah. Right? And they're worried because, you know, they want to make ends meet. They want to live a, a decent lifestyle or the lifestyle they want and etc. And then you have the other hand where people were conscious and they put a lot of money towards investing. And then they're worried because, as you said, the, the more you invest, uh, the, the higher the risk. Right. So there there is some sense of anxiety or some level of anxiety not necessarily at its peak in each situation yeah but when it comes to money it's just different yeah so this is um as much as possible because um people are make people make decisions emotionally and they justify logically and it's kind of brings going through that process and history and the data will show us that the people who are less emotional about their money um where they can do an investment that says $500 every month and not really think about it sort of every month, like, okay, it's gone. Mm. They are much more likely and the evidence and the data shows that they will outperform everyone else by a long way. Now there's different Why levels is that, though? because when the market goes down, they don't need the money. Okay. Or they're not worried about it. They understand that it's for the long term. They understand and have a lot of knowledge of market should be five, six, seven years minimum of expectations. Mm. The second element is probably the foundation in which they built themselves on before they got invested was probably better because let's say, for example, they paid off all their debt before they started investing. They made sure they had an emergency fund before they started investing. Then when they do the investment, it's technically not as much risk because they're sort of like, well, I'm sorted in my other areas of my finances yeah. and, and my life. That yeah. If it has a bad month and it goes down 1%, 2%, in the scheme it of things, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. Um, yeah. So that's what I've seen. And on on average, the type of person who, the less emotional you are, would would gain an extra three percent per year than someone who is uh, more emotional with the, the money. But just to caveat that, it, that is a bit of a privilege because let's say you've had a really privileged upbringing and you haven't had maybe a big hardship or family to support or whatever, then it's sort of like you can afford to be not emotional about it because it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect your, your life. If you yeah. know that, you know, all your house is already paid for your parents have bought you a car, they paid for your education, whatever else. Um, yeah. It makes sense. It's easy to not be as emotional because you're sort of like, well, what will be, will be. Definitely. No, that makes sense now. Um, okay. I have two more questions. I've taken way too much of your time. I've enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> um so we said at the beginning everything has changed on every single one of us the markets have changed people have changed our habits on a personal level have changed right mm -hmm. um has the investment industry changed though um or has well, it always been like that but we just it's clearer now you know that 
everything is just out there at this point. Yeah, I don't think it's changed kind of as an industry. I think the marketing message has probably changed. Um, mm. And uh, with kind of social media and that accessibility to push certain ads and stuff out, like what we've seen with crypto as well, so that's certainly mm. changed. But at the foundation in terms of like maybe the products that are on offer or market returns or sort of the process that we go through, unfortunately, probably hasn't changed for about 20 years um, since the invention of probably like the internet and being able to, uh, yeah. to kind of have that way. So let's have another podcast and, and discuss this. I have so many questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. As I start a monthly guest spot. Um, yes, yeah. uh, I, I wouldn't say no to that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it probably hasn't. Um, it hasn't changed. Um, albeit the marketing message has possibly changed, and they've they've tried to make things a bit more accessible. Um, yeah. But I would say that not on a sounds on a financial planning level where you would need someone who's like financial planner that's going to look at all areas of your finances trying to piece it all together give you a direction and a plan that won't change because it's very very personal it's very easy for pretty much anyone now who's of age to kind of go on buy a stock in apple tesla netflix whatever it is literally um, at your fingertips yeah but i probably a bit of a snob with it i wouldn't call that investing myself that's like a maybe Why not? because you're when you're not diversified enough and it's not, it's more of a gamble that you're just using one company to, to go and do that. Um, and history and the data has showed us since 1970s that that way has never outperformed a diversified and proper portfolio over a period of more than three years. What if they use the same methods but by different stocks? So I'll give you an example. So to a well-diversified portfolio would probably contain at least 2,000 stocks. Okay. And to do that yourself or individually and then buy each of those and then maybe change them every three months or four months, like just on a logistical or technical level, like would be near impossible. And then even mm-hmm. then, like not knowing if you're doing the right thing. And it goes to one of these things called market efficiency and that a modern portfolio theory. And that is the theory that, by the time you go to buy Apple stock as a consumer, someone like yourself, all the information that's available to you is, av- is available to everyone. So you don't have an edge on anyone. You don't know anything that someone else doesn't know. You don't have any competitive advantage. Advantage, yeah. Now, the people on Wall Street or people with lots of money in the know that are closer to it, they're a week ahead of you at least. So what happens is, mm. let, let's say there is an opportunity for Apple and their new phone is going to be the best one ever. The big money goes mm. in first. And by the time you know about it, it's too late. So you're buying it at the price it already is. So you, you don't kind of get ahead of anything. Um, so yeah, I, I would so, view picking single stocks as like, if you have your favorite horse on a horse race or like a football team, there's, there's some insights that might say it's more likely to win and it's a good horse or good football team, but it's, it's just one game in one event and you, I wouldn't be staking my financial But isn't that a good start regardless? Like at least you're trying. Yeah, it is, as long as you can, um, yeah, there's value in the fact you've gone and done it. Um, but I would probably say what I'd want the best outcome to be is someone to maybe do it for, say, a year, uh, two mm-hmm. years, and kind of just break even and be like, I've done nothing for two years. So in that way, it's like they've not lost money, but they've maybe come to realize that their strategy is is not correct or the, the way in which they've done it is not correct. Okay. Um, so what's the correct way? 
So the correct way to go through a brokerage, not necessarily a brokerage, just this stuff you can do yourself. You don't always need to, to pay someone. Um, but I'm a big fan. And like I said before, this is sort of eight or nine out of 10 solution for most people is a total um, stock market approach using index funds. So you have a fund mm-hmm. that covers as much as the stock market as, as possible. Um, and you'll automatically be invested in Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, Netflix, Google, or Alphabet. And they will rebalance that for you every three months. So let's say the Apple price changes, goes up or goes down. Mm-hmm. They will rebalance it for you. So it's always representative of what the market is doing. So all you're trying to do is say, look, I agree that the market always goes up over time as a general concept, but I don't know which stocks and which areas will at any given time. So the only way to know, or the only way to guarantee that you're going to get the good times when it's good is be invested always in everything. So you're taking a total stock market approach. So one of the methods I would, I use as my foundation is we have a fund um, run by Vanguard. So they look after so much money that they could buy Apple three times over. It's like $7 trillion. And they have a fund where any company that's worth above $2 billion, they will invest in it, okay, just within this one fund. And that's the only criteria that they make. They don't make an opinion on whether that stock is good, whether the location of that stock is good, whether the industry is good. They're just saying, try and capture the total market returns. And it's what's called weighted. So, for example, we know that Apple's the most valuable company. And yeah. let's say, for example, you chose, um, I'm going to give you a different example because it'll make it easier to maybe comprehend. You might have heard of the mm-hmm. index S&P 500. So that's the top 500 companies in the US. Mm-hmm. Now, on any given month, a company might drop in or drop out of that top 500, depending on how much that company is worth. But Let's say, for example, you had a fund that was S&P 500 index fund and you were going to invest $500 in that fund. The fund doesn't invest $1 in each company. What they do is they say, well, Apple's the top of that company and they make up 7% of that whole 500, right? Or how much they're yeah. worth. So then they would invest 7% of your money or in this case, seven. Uh, if it was $100, $7 would go towards Apple and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. So you're, you're trying to replicate within your fund what the market is doing. That's all you're trying to, to do. Okay. In the most um, efficient and cheapest way possible. Long-winded explanation. I have a question, but... that, <laughs> I have a question that, that wasn't uh, scripted before. Okay, that's good. Um, it sounds like this is more for people that are further along the way like not for for people that just graduated and got their first jobs and stuff like that yeah can you get into an index fund from the get-go or yeah. do you need no 100 you can get it from the get-go it's like if i was going to give any advice to anyone that was wanting to start investing i'd be like do this 100 just do this start this it's a lowest risk way Fantastic. to start it's an accessible way to start it's really cheap to start because mm-hmm. you're not paying an analyst or a team of analysts or a team of trying to sell you a story that they're going to beat the market and they found this new secret that no one knows. You're removing all the market noise. You're removing all the, the kind of the mess from marketing and all this. And all you're mm-hmm. doing is saying, I believe that the market goes up over time and I want to be invested in the market as cheaply and as efficiently as possible. 
and that's yeah. at its core that's it um it does sound a bit more complex i'm trying to lower that barrier as much as possible for people um yeah but yeah it's all backed up by the data and evidence that shows um that this would outperform um an active approach so an active approach to investing would be changing companies every month looking at what market trends are happening maybe looking at what news is coming out yeah a passive approach to saying i'll be invested in the market no matter what over the last 50 years 87 percent of the time you'd been better off with a passive approach mm. so i like those odds a lot better than being in the 87 percent and then you've got the 13 percent um yeah. and the second question you'd ask yourself was how how do i make sure i'm in that 13 percent that beats the market and no one's no one's been ever been able to evidence how and why and what variables go into it so it's sort of like a it could just be luck over a period of time you're going to have a natural variance there's other factors as well that's pretty good advice i must say i hope our listeners benefit from that as much as i have um it was a pleasure speaking to you yes i uh, really enjoyed this conversation good. There's a, there's thank you lot. so much for Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Same to you, Hadil. If you would like to enhance your personal financial journey, Loon is now available for UAE residents on both App Store and Google Play. Please subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to get weekly updates and follow us on @joinloon. I've been your host, Hadil Zajali. Don't forget to leave a review so we can know what you think.